Would you like to stand? You can if you want. Matthew 27. You don't have to. Matthew 27. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Father, please... God, shape our hearts today. God, we're broken on the inside so deeply that we don't even want, we don't even value, we don't even seek after the right things. And God, we need your word to correct that in us. God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. God, we need you to, God, just to make it so that we we want you more than we want anything else. Father, I pray that you would call out sin in our hearts today. I pray that you'd bring repentance in us. I pray, Father, that you would bring an awakening in this town and that you bring revival in this church. God, I pray that you would move in us, God. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I bet you anything that you have in the last couple weeks or maybe a month or so, I don't know, but I bet, I bet, I bet in, in recent memory, I bet you've had a conversation where you or somebody else said, what is wrong with this world? You know, I, I, I just bet you. I, just, I hear that enough where I'm thinking, I bet most all of you have at some point heard that. Or may, maybe, it, what, maybe it wasn't what is wrong with this world. Maybe it's what is wrong with America. You know, I, I hear that often as well. Or maybe it wasn't what is wrong with America. Maybe, maybe it was what's wrong with um, this generation. I, I actually heard that yesterday. You know, what's wrong with this generation, you know? Uh, or may, maybe, maybe the question that ought to be asked, you know, we're always asking what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with America, what's wrong with this generation. You know, the real interesting question, though, that, that ought to be asked is what's wrong with me, you know, right? What's wrong with me? And, and actually, I believe the exact same 
answer for all three of those, okay? Uh, I, I think it's the same, or four, however many I mentioned there. I think it's the same for all of it. Now, now I know you could, you could go into all kinds of political things and, and as far as what's wrong with the world and America and this generation maybe, but, but really when you get right down to it, I think that we all agree what's wrong is sin, okay? Now, that, that's true. That's, that's a biblical answer. What's wrong with the world? Sin. What's wrong with America? Sin. What's wrong with, what's wrong with this generation and every generation that's ever lived? Sin. What's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And the answer to that is sin. Now, in your mind, how would you define that? Okay, so when you think about what's wrong with me is sin. Okay, so when that word sin is in your mind, how do you define that? How would you explain that to your kids or your grandkids or your friends? So just go ahead and think of your definition right now. Now, I'm just betting, I'm betting that for a lot of you, the definition you're thinking of in your mind right now is it is breaking God's commands or transgressing God's laws or some, some sort of variation of that. So it's, it's kind of this, this, this okay, I'm, I've broken God's standards or his laws. Now, here's what I want to tell you. That's right, okay? If, if that's what you had in your mind, that is a right definition of sin because that's actually the Bible affirms that, that, that that's what it means to sin is to break God's commands. But here's what I would like for you to think of. There's something deeper than that. Why do people break God's commands? Why, why do nations break God's commands? Why does, why, do, why does the world break God's commands? Why do you break God's commands? And the answer to that question, I wish we had time to unpack it, but I don't. I'm just going to tell you the answer. The answer to that question is unbelief. Okay? The Bible says that, that at the root of every sin, so every time you're selfish, every time you're prideful, every time you're, you're sensual, every time you're, you're immoral, every time you are uh, angry or violent or unforgiving, every time you can, you can find the root in some sort of unbelief, some sort of not trusting that Jesus is who he says he is and that he'll do everything he said he would do, all right? So, so you have what's wrong with the world? Sin. You know, what is sin? It's breaking God's commands. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because of unbelief. We do that because of pockets of unbelief in our own hearts. Now, if we did one more shovel, okay, let's go just a little bit deeper, we would find that unbelief is most often demonstrated or displayed in you and I, the world, preferring other things to God. Okay? So, so are you following the sequence here? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with America? What's wrong with me? What's sin? Sin's breaking God's commands. Why do we sin? Because of unbelief. How is unbelief most evidenced in our world? It's when we say, I don't really want God. I'm not really going to give much attention to God. I'm really not going to, I don't really want to seek him. I, I really don't want to find him. I, I, I really don't want to discover him. I don't, I, re, I don't want much of him. I'm really more interested in all of this other stuff. All right? That's exactly what we find in the scripture. So, so the Garden of Eden, okay? Garden of Eden, what happened? You've got Adam and Eve in a garden paradise, and there's one tree in the middle of the garden, and God says, here's your one command. Your one command is don't eat of that tree, right? You can eat of all the other trees in the garden, but don't eat of this one tree. And what do Adam and Eve do? Well, tempted by the serpent, they eat of the tree. They transgress. Why did they transgress? It was because of unbelief. It was because the serpent came to them and said, look, you can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's holding back from you. There's good there you should have it and so in that moment Adam and Eve said I'd rather have this fruit than I would a relationship with God all right now Romans 1 is the passage that you go to to kind of put all that together in your mind all right so I want to work that through that with you you're like hey aren't we in Matthew yes we are be patient okay uh, be patient, okay? We're going to need this to get to that, okay? 
So in, in Romans 1, uh, verse 18 talks about suppressing the truth. So it says all mankind has suppressed. We've held back the truth, okay? And then in verse 19 it says, what we, what we know about God, it can be seen in nature. That's 19 and 20. It says his invisible attributes are clearly seen, his eternal power, divine nature. You know, everybody can walk outside, look at the sky, look at the stars. We can see God's power. We can see his, his fingerprints all over. And then in verse 21 it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged, here's that, here's that sin, okay? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. What is that saying? That is saying we prefer all of creation above God. We've exchanged him. Okay, you know what it means to exchange something, right? It's like, I don't want this. I'm not interested in this. I want something else. Paul says, we've all done that. He goes on to say in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They'd rather have the creature than the creator, okay? Now, that is what is wrong with the world. That's what's wrong with our nation. That's wrong, what's wrong with generation after every generation. That's what's wrong with me. It's that, that you have Jesus with the greatest value of the universe, okay? Did y'all know you have a little Walmart price checker inside your heart? Did you know that? Those little bleep, 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 okay? You do. You have one. And it, and it, and it, it judges the value of things, Okay? All right, so you have Jesus is the greatest value in the universe. He is the most worth, worthy, or, or worth the most. He, he's worth everything. Here's what the Bible says. He is glorious. That word glorious basically is a way of saying Jesus is the best in every category, all right? He's the most beautiful, the most powerful, the most satisfying, the most valuable, the most merciful, the most loving, the most created, the most wise, on and on and on and on we go. And in our sin, in our brokenness, we say, no, I don't really want that. Okay? In our sin, we take that, that price checker that is defective in our own hearts and we scan the glory of God and it comes up $1.33. Okay? And then we go over to Netflix and, and sensuality and immorality and pride and worldly success and pats on the back and we price check that and it comes up $10 million, All right, And our wanter is broken. And what happens there is then we pursue and we seek after and we love and we chase all these other things above God, and that's called idolatry. Okay, you've heard of that word, right? Idolatry. It's, it's when, you, when you basically give worth to something else above God. You, you, you say, you know, me being, me being built up by others, me being, you know, admired and, 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 and made much of by others, that's worth more than God. You see, me getting my way, that's worth more than God. Me getting revenge, that's worth more than God. Okay, that's called idolatry. Now, in today's passage, all right, so that's our theology, right? Now, in today's passage, here's what we have. We've got the king of the universe, the God of all creation, the author and sustainer of life, the reigning judge of the cosmos, he comes to earth. Imagine hearing this for the first time, okay? Just, just forget all your, your, your upbringing and just imagine you, you just walked in and you're hearing this story for the very first time, okay? So the reigning, ruling judge, uh, the, the sustainer, the creator of all things 
comes to earth in the form of a man, okay? And he proclaims the love of God and the glory of God and God's willingness to forgive and restore and justify and save. And he proclaims God's glorious plan to bless mankind and to live forever with with God in this glorious kingdom. And then just to make sure we know he's telling the truth, okay? Just to make sure that, that we know his words are true, he goes ahead and heals multitudes of sick people, gives sight to the blind, makes the paralytic to walk, feeds the multitude, raises the dead, and then what happens? Well, in unison, the government, the religious leaders, and the crowd of that day say, that guy's got to die. Would, would not that be the strangest story you've ever heard? If that was the first time you heard it? You know, okay, hold on. You're telling me the God of the universe comes to earth and, 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 and he announces this incredible blessing to mankind and mankind responds in unison saying, this guy's got to die. We've got to kill him. That doesn't make any sense at all unless what I started out telling you is true, right? If our price checker is broken, if, if, our, if our wanter is broken, if, if, if sin means that we're so broken that we don't value the right things, we don't value God, if that's true, then this passage all of a sudden makes sense. Well, guys, that's exactly what happens in Jesus' trial. Right? So what you have here in this passage is Jesus' trial. By the way, it's, I think, the most crooked trial you've probably ever read of in your life. Um, I did a little research last night, and when I say I did a little research, I just, I just always want to be honest because I think people think like I studied this for hours. I didn't. Okay, I did a little research last night. It means I Googled this and took about 30 seconds, all right? But here's what I found. In America in 2013, that's the, the year that I found, the average time an inmate spent on death row was 15 years and five months, okay? So in other words, in order for someone to be executed in America— on average, it took 15 years and five months. That's just on death row. That's not counting their trial, their sentencing, all that happened before they got to death row, okay? So in America, it takes decades to put somebody to death. In Jesus' trial, they arrested him in the middle of the night, and they crucified him in the morning, okay? The courts were never actually even open during Jesus' trial, accusation, and sentencing, and crucifixion, all right? This was an incredibly crooked trial. And when you read the text, one of the things you realize right away is that Jesus is innocent, okay? The only accusation that's even dealt with in Matthew is in verse 11, where Pilate says, all right, are you the king of the Jews? That's the only accusation that Matthew even deals with, all right? And now if we go into Luke passage, Luke tells us that, that there were a couple other accusations. Matthew mentions them, but just in, in, in general, in Matthew he says, uh, then uh, Pilate said to him, do you not hear all these many things they testify against you? Well, in Luke 23, it tells us what they testified against him. In verse 2 it says, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation. That's awfully vague, isn't it? Number two, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Not, if, I, if my memory serves me right, did not Jesus say, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and God's? That's what I thought, right? All right, so that one's kind of out. And then the third one was, he says he makes himself out to be Christ the king, all right? Which, again, is the only, the only actual accusation that Pilate deals with, all right? Now, Pilate knows he is innocent. And Pilate actually tries to do everything. I don't think he's a good guy, but he does, tries to do everything he can to get this off of his plate. He does not want to make a decision on this, all right? So in, in John chapter 18, I won't read it, but verse 29 through 31, Pilate actually 
sends this back to the Sanhedrin. He looks at the case and he says, guys, there is nothing here for me to decide. There's no crime being committed. This is nothing, nothing worthy of death in Roman law. I'm sending it back to the Sanhedrin. I'm sending it back to the religious leaders. This is a religious matter, okay? The, the Sanhedrin demands that he do it. And so then he looks around and he realizes Jesus is a Galilean. He's like, aha, Herod is in, is in town and he happens to be like the regional governor guy of, of Galilee. And so in Luke 23, 6 through 12, Pilate hands off the case to Herod. Herod interrogates Jesus, gets nothing, and hands it back to Pilate. In Luke 23, 16 through 22, Pilate tries to punish Jesus, thinking maybe if I punish him, maybe they'll let it alone, okay? He doesn't want to deal with Jesus because he knows Jesus is innocent. And not only does he know Jesus is innocent, but in this text, we just read that his wife has a supernatural dream. It is so upsetting to her, she actually interrupts him while he's in the judgment seat, while he's, you know, imagine a, a judge in his chambers, you know, in the seat with his gavel. She actually comes in, interrupts him, and says, don't do anything to this guy. I've just had a dream. It's been revealed to me. He is innocent. Please, you know, don't, don't do anything. Pilate does not want to deal with Jesus. In fact, he's never met anybody like Jesus. Notice what, what Matthew says in verse 13. He says, Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. He has never had a prisoner like this. Like all this stuff that is being accused of Jesus, it seems to Pilate he could easily defend himself, and he doesn't. Pilate cannot figure this guy out. Why would you not defend yourself? Now, of course, if we go into 1 Peter, we know why Jesus didn't do that. Um, two weeks ago, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we realized how, how Jesus embraced the will of the Father. But in 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was a seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay, you know what that means? It means that Jesus was not defending himself. He was just entrusting himself to the Father. And Pilate cannot figure that out. He has never had anybody like Jesus. And Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. But here's what you're going to see in this text. And actually, I think this has a great application for everybody in here who watches the news. Okay? Um, Here's what you're going to, yeah, elbows are going out, all right? So here's what you're, you're going to be encouraged by if you watch the news. If you watch the news, I've got to believe that you're frustrated, okay? I've got to believe there's times where you look at it and you're like, why is that happening? What is going on? You know, why are they doing that? How can they, you know, how can they think that way? Okay, here's what you need to understand about Jesus' trial that I think applies to today. Nobody is really interested in truth in this trial, okay? Nobody. Jesus. He's the only one. He and Pilate actually have a conversation about this, okay? But, but, but clearly, when you look at it, nobody is interested in truth, which is interesting because Romans 1, remember how it started out telling us the nature of sin is to suppress the truth, okay? Well, the religious leaders aren't interested in truth. In fact, they know Jesus is innocent, and Pilate knows they know that. Look in verse, um, where is it, verse 18, it says, for, for Pilate knew, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Pilate knows he is there. He's on trial, not because he's done anything wrong, but because the Jewish leaders are envious of them. They, they are not interested in truth. In fact, Jesus confronted them in John 8. 
In John 8, he tells them, you are of your father, the devil, your will. This is 8.44. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning He does not and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. And, he, and Jesus says, you guys, are that's your dad. That's your dad. You, you're just like him. You only lie. You see, they, they, don't, they don't want Jesus because they're not interested in the truth. In fact, in John chapter 5, in John chapter 5, Jesus confronts these guys and he, he nails it. He says in John 5, uh, 44, I believe it is. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you hear, do you hear what he says about him? He says, you guys can't believe. You know why you can't believe? You, you don't even seek the glory of God. You just want glory from other people. Okay? Do, do, do you see that? They're not interested in truth. So why, why are they accusing Jesus? Because they don't want him. Okay? They don't, they don't want Jesus. He gets in the way of their personal glory. What do they want? Personal glory. Okay, so here you've got one group of people that basically say, we don't want Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We'd rather have our own glory. We'd rather have people make much of us. We'd rather have power. We'd rather have prestige. We'd rather have people, people make over how great we are. And, and to want that means we don't want Jesus, all right? Okay? So remember how we talked about our warner being broken? We're seeing it right here, aren't we? Religious leaders, do they really think Jesus is a revolutionary? No, they don't. But here's the deal. They want personal power and glory, and Jesus is in the way, right? They don't want him. What about Pilate? He's clearly unsettled by Jesus, but he's not a good guy. Luke 13, 1 says he mingled the blood of the worshipers with their sacrifices, something to that effect, very uh, time told by the guidelines whose blood Pilate mingled with theirs. Yeah, I, I read it right. Um, we know we know he's a bad guy. We know from history he's a bad guy. We know he did some really bad things. Okay, so so Pilate's not a bad guy, but you know what you know what Pilate is. Pilate's a guy that does not want to deal with Jesus. Um, he's tried to pass him off to the Sanhedrin to Herod. Uh, tried to claim him innocent. His wife is shaken up over the deal. He's shaken up over him. But in the end, Pilate has him scourged. In the end. Pilate has him lashed, 39 lashes with a whip made of leather straps to tear Jesus' flesh off his back. In the end, Pilate gives the order that Jesus would be crucified. Why does, why does Pilate do that when he knows Jesus is innocent? Because here's what Pilate's holding in his hands. Are you ready? The religious leaders, it was, it was Jesus or their own glory. What'd they pick? Their own glory. For Pilate, it's Jesus or my career. Okay? Do you notice how these guys finally get at Jesus or get at Pilate? In verse 24, it says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands. You see, when Pilate finally says, Okay, crucify him, is when there's about to be a riot. Now, you know why that upset him? Because if there's a riot in his territory, he gets blamed. That, 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 that's not good on his job review. In fact, John makes this really clear in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 12. Here's what the Jews said to Pilate. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. That's, that's the grown-up version of saying, if you do this, we're going to tell on you. We're going to tell Caesar. So you know what Pilate has in his hands? I can have Jesus or my career. He runs the price check. What's he do? I'll take my career. Religious leaders will take Either Jesus or we can have our own glory. They run the price check. Water's broken. We'll take our own glory. What about the crowd? 
That's the third party in this, this story. Okay, there's the crowd. Who, are, who is the crowd? First of all, verse 20 just says they're the crowd. Verse 25, because I'm all the people. You know what's interesting to me? Do you, do you suppose there were some people in that crowd that a few days ago were holding palm branches as Jesus came in, saying, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord? Do you suppose there were some of those folks in this crowd? It's very possible, isn't there? Okay, but here's what we know about the crowd. In a last-ditch effort to release Jesus, Pilate says, okay, there's our tradition. Here's what, here was their tradition. Their tradition was that during the Passover feast, during the feast time, that the governor would release one prisoner of the people's choice. And so Pilate's thinking, whew. So you know what he does? He doesn't just let them make a choice. He gives them two choices, either this or this, okay? I'll either release for you the notorious murdering robber Barabbas or... I'll release to you the healing, raising from the dead, teacher and rabbi, Jesus. I think in Pilate's mind, this was going to be an easy choice. I think he thought, this is, this is going to do it. This is going to be my way out of having to deal with Jesus. Okay? So there's two choices here. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? By the way, history tells us, we don't know this from the Bible, but there are some historical documents that tell us that Barabbas' first name was Joshua. Uh, which is a very common name in Israel, which is actually Jesus' Hebrew name. Okay, when you translate them both into Greek, it's Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Christ. That makes it even kind of more cutting, doesn't it? Who do you want? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? So, so which Savior do you want? Now, again, who's Barabbas? Verse 16 says he was a notorious prisoner. Mark 15, 7 says he was a murderer. John 18, 40 says he was a a robber. And Mark 15, 7 says he was an insurrectionist. I kind of think, in my mind, it happened all at once, okay? An insurrection is a violent overthrow, an attempt, violent attempt at overthrowing the government. So I kind of picture that this guy was a part of a movement of a violent overthrow, and during which time he kills people, he breaks down some doors and takes what he wants, okay? That's who this guy is, All right? And so in verse 21, Pilate asks, which of these two do you want released to you? So basically what he's asking is, which one's valuable to you? Run the price check. Which one's valuable? Which one do you want living among you? Which do you prefer? Which one deserves to die and which one deserves to live? Now, now before we see what happens here, I want you to ask the same question in your own life. Because I actually think that in a different version We answer this question every day. What do you value? What do you prefer? What what is worthy to you? What do you want? What do you spend your time on? What do you pursue? What do you seek after? Now, now it's never more obvious than here, right? You You got Jesus. Do you want him? Or do you want this murdering, robbing, thieving insurrectionist? Okay, but I think for us, it's a more subtle choice each day. It's, do you want Jesus? Are you going to spend your time, your pursuit on Jesus, or do you want something else? Right? Who do you prefer? A revolutionary who plunged his dagger into the belly of another man, kicked down doors and took what he wanted? Or do you want Jesus? Do you you want the one who spoke the words of life? Do you want the one who who went up into Jairus' daughter's bedroom, little 12-year-old girl that had died, and he knelt down beside her, and he reached into death and brought that little girl back to life and then told her mama, 
make her some pancakes for breakfast because she's hungry? Do you want that guy? Or do you want Barabbas? Do, do you want Jesus? Do you, do you want the one who touched the leper and made him clean and who spit on the ground and put the mud on the blind man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool and when he did, he could see? Do you want the Jesus who spoke to the, the shriveled up, crippled legs of a man and they visibly straightened and the guy got up and it says in the scripture he leapt. He looked like a ballerina in the nutcracker, man. He is just, you know, leaping with those legs. Do you want that guy or do you want Barabbas? Do you want the Jesus who lifted the little boy's lunch into the air and Thank God for it and then fed 7,000 people? Do you, do you want the Jesus who, who lifted the chin of the adulteress in the very spot that she was going to be executed in and said, Woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you want the Jesus who taught us to love our neighbor, who taught us to, 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 to love God as, as, as with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you want the Jesus who cleansed the temple and cleansed hearts? Do you want the Jesus who, who knelt and wept at his good friend Lazarus' tomb and then called him out of death after four days in the grave? Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And without hesitation, without collaboration, without a committee meeting, without a vote, in unison, the crowd cries out, we want Barabbas. Two times, Pilate asked him, now who do you want? We want Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Seems strange, doesn't it? But again, what, what about this broken water deal, right? Because you know what's also strange? What's also strange is a group of Christians in a room. And I wonder how the answers to these questions would go if we answered honestly. Do you want time with Jesus? Or do you want time with the TV? Do you want the words of Christ or the words of a sitcom? Do you want to handle conflict Jesus' way? Or do you want to handle it your way? Do you, do you want the beauty of sensuality or do you want the beauty of God's glory? Do you want people to make much of you or do you want them to make much of God's glory? Here's one. Do you want the riches of this life or do you want the riches of the next one? You know what? I'm just betting that the answers to those questions would actually be similar to the answer of do you want Jesus or Barabbas? You see, our sin nature doesn't want Jesus. We don't want humility. We don't want servanthood. We don't want sacrificial, costly love. We don't want purity or holiness or truth. We don't want a kingdom that's not of this world. It's because our wanter is broken. I baptized a guy this week and he was giving his testimony. And uh, in his testimony, he talked about how God had changed his desires, how God had changed him. And then he looked over at me, and almost to be like, like hey, I want to be truthful here. He's like, but I still got some things I need to work on, Pastor. And I said, no, I know, me too. What we need to work on is our desires, okay? Here's where this book comes in, okay? 
This book teaches you what you ought to want. Isn't that great? Have you ever thought about the Bible in that way? The Bible teaches me what I ought to love. It teaches me what I ought to rejoice in. It teaches me what I ought to pursue. It teaches me what what I ought to delight in. It teaches me what I ought to run after. And and so as I I take this book and as as I learn from it, and then I ask for the Holy Spirit's help, then it actually changes my broken wanter. But for these folks today, they said, we'll take Barabbas. And so the, the passage ends by saying, then he released for them Barabbas. And having Jesus scourged, delivered him to be crucified. And he released to them Barabbas. Now, here's, here's okay, from this point on, I want, you're gonna, can you tap into Jason's imagination, okay? And you use your own, okay? But I'm just thinking, okay, so he's, he's delivering to them one prisoner, and, and, the, and the speculation probably is that he was going to be crucified that morning, right? Remember, there were two thieves, one on each side of Jesus when he was crucified, okay? So Barabbas was probably who the third cross was meant for, okay? And so most likely, Barabbas was meant to be crucified the next day, all right? So while all this is happening, it's the night before Barabbas' execution. Now, I've never been executed. Whew. Okay, so what do you do the night before your, crucif- before your execution? Have you ever thought about that? I, I gave it some thought last night. Would you, would you try to sleep or would you stay up? Could you sleep? I don't know. You know, some questions that really fascinated my mind was, would my family come? You ever thought about that? If you're being publicly executed, would your wife come? Would your kids? Would your mama come? Jesus' mama did. Would they be present? I don't know if Barabbas had a family or not, but I, I just wonder, were they in the days in, you know, all night long? Is he thinking about his family? Is he thinking about what it's going to be like to die? I don't, I don't know. I, you know, is he, how could you not kind of wonder, what's it going to be like when they drive those nails into my hands? What's that going to be like when they hang me there? What's it like to suffocate to death? I had to think that Barabbas was thinking about all of that. And then there's, there's a jangling of the keys, and the cell door opens. Now, you had to think he was like, wait, wait, it's not daylight, you know. I know he didn't have a watch, but, like, probably he could tell, you know, whoa, 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 it's, it's not morning yet. And they're like, well, Barabbas, what did the guard say? Isn't that funny? What, what, what do you think he said? Hey, it's your lucky day, buddy. What do you mean it's my lucky day? Undoes his shackles. You're free. You had to think he thought it was a trick, right? Like, oh, man, they're just going to let me two steps out the door, and then some dude's going to club me, and they're going to beat me for fun. I mean, that's what they did to prisoners that were going to be executed in Jesus' day. And they're like, no, no, really, you're free. What, what do you mean I'm free? Yeah, Pilate released one, one prisoner, and, and the crowd picked you. It was either you or Jesus. It was, it was either you or the rabbi, the healer, the one that everybody's been talking about, who could be the Christ. And Barabbas is like, and they, they picked me? Yeah. And then I started thinking, what would you do if you got let go? So morning's breaking. They're preparing your execution, what was to be your execution. Surely if he did have family, he ran to them, right? But then here's what I kind of wondered. 
would you stay? I kind of think I'd want to get out of Jerusalem, you know, make sure someone didn't change their mind. But I can't help but think, it took a little while to get out of a big city like Jerusalem. I can't help but think that as they're cresting the last hill out of Jerusalem, that old Brabus wouldn't look back. Maybe about the time that they're standing Jesus' cross up. And I just wondered, what did he feel? Knowing that that was supposed to be his. I have no idea how to answer that for Barabbas. But what I'm really interested in is how do you feel? Because you're Barabbas, aren't you? Huh? I think you are. You're the guilty one who was supposed to take the wrath of God for your sins. And Jesus took your place. The keys rattled. The door opened. If you're a believer here today, if you're a believer here today, that's what happened. Like you were supposed to experience the wrath of God forever. And Jesus took your place. So I want to ask you, how do you feel? How do you feel about that? And you know what I'd really want to know? Has that changed your wanter? You see, before in our sins, what, what's our problem? We don't want God. We're not, we're just not interested in him. You know, oh, we'll give him a little bit of time, but like how long is this deal going to last, right? Like we're really interested in everything else. But now that you're Barabbas, Christian, how has that changed you on the inside? You know, I think a lot of folks that, that I, I get a chance to preach to, I think they're actually most like Pilate. You, you know what a lot of folks spend their life doing? Trying to not have to decide about Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that what Pilate did? Like, he just tried to put it off, you know? He put it off the Sanhedrin. He tried to put it off on Herod. He tried, he tried to put it off on, hey, you guys pick somebody else. He just didn't want to have to deal with Jesus. He didn't want him, but yet he also knew there's something there. I wonder if that's where you are today. Maybe you're not convinced that he's the Christ. Maybe you're not convinced of everything I just said about him. But maybe you know in your heart, there's something there. Man, I would, I would urge you today to pick Jesus. I would urge you today to believe everything the Bible says about him and to stop picking the stuff of this world to try to satisfy your heart. To choose Christ. Choose him as the best thing. Let's pray. Father, we, we just admit this morning that our, our wanter is broken on the inside. God, we, we don't want the right things. We don't seek the right things. We don't pursue the right things. God, we're just broken. God, help us to believe. Help us to believe that you are everything you say you are. God, help us to believe this morning that you're, you're all of that and more. You're, you're beyond our imagination good, that you will satisfy our soul in, in ways that nothing else can. Father, enable us to believe that. And God, in believing that, Lord, change what we want. Change what we desire. God, I pray that in our hearts this morning, we would say, we want Jesus. We don't want the world. We don't want the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We don't want any of that. We, we want Jesus. Father, please do that in us today. Father, we ask it in Christ's name.